Hi, friend. This is Georgian Banoff, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, The Cost of Freedom. In today's episode, Georgian starts out with a really great story about an old Italian violin that he inherited years ago. Did you know that a violin has a sound post on the inside that is commonly called the soul? That is because it absorbs the vibrations, the emotions, the very heart and soul of the one who plays it, and that affects the sound and tonality of the instrument. Listen in as Georgian uses that illustration to describe what Christ came to do for you and for me. You will be encouraged with copious amounts of good news. I lost my violin, but it was stolen actually in Istanbul by this taxi purposely drove off before we can get it from the trunk. Anyways, uh, I'm arriving in London and I don't have a violin because I was going to say, I asked the pastor if we could rent some. Uh, rent store so from the airport we went straight into the from to, uh, to the violin shop and there they are like about 20 or 30 violins from you know the, the cheapest to the most expensive ones so I'm trying um, the, the, to, to see which one I close to mine to rent it so mid, midway somewhere I didn't even go into the more expensive one it's super expensive but it wasn't really outrageous so I picked one just to rent it was closest to mine sound wise so just the bow was more expensive than my violin, my last violin. So like the bow was like thousands. Of, anyways, uh, for renters, okay. So next thing you know, at the end of the weekend, they handed me the violin and said, we're not returning it to your shop. We're actually giving it to you. So this super expensive instrument is almost as old as of America, like 1700 17, yeah. It's like a super old. Anyways... Um, I'm going to my uh, violin uh, shop, the violin shop where it fixes things and tunes things up for me and is an Italian guy that really understands instruments and so forth. It's a skill, you know, it's an Italian violin. So I just think you're going to tune it up, just kind of polish it up and this and that. He, he takes a knife, one of those wood, wooden tools, and he goes... And completely dismantles the whole thing. Like, I was just about a heart attack. What? He's, I knew, I knew it would get you. I knew, like, what are you doing? He says, What? You see that instrument inside of it, between the two plates, top and bottom, there's a little, little cold bridge, you know, there's a little, little wooden pillar, like, and it's called the sole of the instrument that supports the two plates you know so it doesn't crash because under the pressure of the strings it'll crash but that's it's right underneath the bridge and that's just the design of all violins so he said I have to put new violin new new soul because this is your instrument now and 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 you're going to put your soul your the way you play and your heart is there the vibration of the way you play is going to go in there and you permeate and it's going to be yours like almost like a born again but he says I have to take that old piece and that belonged to the violinist in the past they've played with it this is an old instrument so it was handed by master players too and they deposited themselves the premium so now it's starting fresh and you're going to put your soul into it. Come on, that's so good. Cool. <sighs> wow. 
it cost me nearly a little heart attack, but I learned an amazing lesson that a true violinist who take pride in themselves, they go to a violin shop where the masters make violins and they re redo the soul. I never knew that, really. So it just reminds me of what Jesus came to do. <laughs> to take the old... Um, I wish it was that quick and that easy. Uh, but he took the old identity. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he deposited a new identity that he could... F you, you and him together can fill with your love affair with the Lord, with your love relationship, you can put into it your words, the way you worship, the way you praise Him, because before, you know, in my case, like, I wasn't born again, and, and uh, until my mid-twenties, so I've put a lot of garbage, so to speak, or untruth, let's say, things that are not you know, truth, and, and uh, a lot of misunderstandings, and frustrations, and you know, experiences that were not uh, godly and they got, you know, it wasn't God exalting and, and it certainly was it was wrecking my life. I was nearly, I was so suicidal, you wouldn't believe this. I'm just a joy apostle now, but it was like anything but joy back then. I was a very depressed kid. I was very, very isolated. I secluded myself in just music and and, and through rock and roll, believe it or not, I connected with the young people, you know, and that was my way of saying, here's who I am, here's what's me, and, you know, and I was, like, communicating uh, most like that. But up to that point, I was a very isolated kid, you know, divorced from home, and changing house to house, like, at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, we change apartments, because uh, when I say apartment, <clears throat> I'll give an example, like this apartment, that, you know, you walk in, it has the kitchen, and then you walk in, and there's a, the, the living room, and, and off the living room, there's one bedroom, and then there's a second bedroom, but it's not with a f permanent wall, but it was like a, like a French door, and then you close it, so it is a closed space, but you could hear, it's just a glass door and stuff. So, so the owner of the apartment lives, sleeps with, with her two, two college-age daughters in the living room. The owner's brother and his wife and their child lives in a bedroom that has a door. But we live, me and my mom are in the bedroom that doesn't really have a wall, just kind of French door. So you hear everything. And then the owner, <laughs> you can believe this, the owner's ex-husband <laughs> who... By some sort of a law or something, when they divorced, he obtained the right to come in the kitchen from 11 a.m. to 6, 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. only, and sleep and get out because that's how much the courts allow him to to do it. And some sort of a dividing of whatever. So he was allowed to still live there, but only late at night and early in the morning. By the time we come for breakfast, he's gone. But his bed was there, like still small spaces and. Anyways, giving you an idea of how we would live. When I say we change apartments, I don't mean another one apartment to another, one room from one place to another room from another place with co-editing like that. So I just lived in these intense um, situation. And then on top of it, mom just makes me play the violin. And of course, I did not like 
classical music ain't is very boring for me, but I cannot say no to my mother. It's just impossible. You just she makes you do it. And so it's like and even during the summer, I'm looking in the street and kids are playing in soccer and this and that. I'm like <laughs> <sighs> But now I love it, right? Because I can play and I can have fun like tonight and just enjoy playing. It's so good. Thank you, Mom. She's in heaven. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so even though for momentary time when you're going through these trials or these roads you go through and both life serves you things than expected or your family situations or, you know, friends, whatever, the whole society, it, it just keeps keeps things uh, around you that may not be ideal in this, for the moment, but yet they shape this thing. Um, and again, it's, it's not, uh, I mean, like I say, I, I, I got so tired of this whole thing. I, I never forget one day I was at mid, heat, some, heat of the summer, August, and I'm like dragging this violin in the case, to the classes, to the teachers, to the back and forth, and stares of them exhausted. And I practically sat in the stairs and I says, I quit. I, I just can't do this anymore. Like mid-August is heat. And I'm like, and, and I just wanted to stop living. And I tried to stop my breathing because I was tired of breathing. I was tired of everything. I was like, so I just okay, stop breathing. Of course, I couldn't. Eventually, it's like I have to breathe. But then it was this, this discouragement, this love, this tired of it. You know, like a, imagine six years old kid tired of breathing because it's even breathing is just too much. And and uh, in the revival, nannies uh, when when it hit us, we would just enjoy this ministering to people. And this uh, lady comes and she says. Pray for me. It's just not working. I'm just depressed, and I, 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 uh, I just, you know, I'm trying to understand this anointing, and the, and it, I can't, and I don't feel any joy like most of you. And and uh, she says, I'm so just ready to quit. So I, I says, I get it. I get. It. I've been there. So just stay here. Um, and so the last thing you want to do is tell them what to do, because. That's the problem. They've tried everything and it's just not working, whatever it is, whether you're supposed to pray or read or this or that, and it's just not working and she's in this depressed state. So I go, I says, uh, okay, just chill right now, relax, because I'll, I'll do do everything you're trying to do. I'll, I'll do it. Don't, don't, don't stress. Okay, so can you breathe? I don't know, even that seems hard. It's just, I guess, I guess. God will do the breathing. How's that? You just sit there and God will do the breathing. Would that work for you? Yeah, that'll work. If he would even breathe for me, that'll work for me. So I just says, okay, he'll do the breathing. And I just touch her gently, like, and the Spirit of God just infused her. Because he's the spirit, right? Ruach. He's the breath of God. And just, he went inside her. It took, it took someone to 
say even breathing. He's willing, he's ready to do even the most basic things, such breathing. He'll do it. Somebody had to unlock her from this religious performance spirit. Because everything was so much for her. She felt like a failure. She couldn't even breathe right anymore. And so it's like, okay, he will do the breathing. When I said that, I gave her the permission to believe that she does not have to do absolutely nothing to enter into his bliss, into his pleasure, into his... Because Jesus provided all that you could never do, even to the last thing like your heartbeat and your lung breathe that's it I mean this is the most basic thing your brain operates right but you get so frustrated and so discouraged in your in your mind in your heart that failure after failure after failure you you says I can't do nothing and nothing works for me and yet me with my big violin and exhaustion of a kid it took somebody like me who knows the depth of despair of childhood or, you know, facing stuff that you don't want to do, but you're doing it. You just, and I says, I get it. Yeah. How about if he does the breathing too? It's just like, you don't have to do even breathe. She goes, that'll work. Okay. I go, okay. Come on, Jesus. And I gave her the permission to not even be responsible for her breathing. Because it's a pressure. Everything is a pressure, you know. And and because it's an effort, right? You know, and God wants us to know that he's thought about everything. And and uh, and it takes someone like, like you that is absolutely freed from self-performance to give people permission to step into Christ's performance. Otherwise, we, we, we keep little chains locked in, just some sort of, well, did this, and, but then, you know. And I'll give you another example. The renewing of the mind, which is famous scripture, Romans, Romans 12, 12, 2. You, you, I'm sure you've heard it because it's a very prominent scripture. It's a great scripture. Um, anybody wants to read it from any translation? Romans 12, verse, uh, verse 2. You want somebody to read it? Yeah. Which translation? Uh, okay, revised standard. Um, two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Does anybody have New Living, new living translations? You do? Living. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the old living, read it, read it out uh, and see, see what it says. I, okay. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Wow, that's good. 
read again. Get into it. All right. All right. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Good. Then you're going to experience. Remember, uh, say, don't copy or don't. You know, because we're actually doing this. And so he says, like, stop doing that. Like, in a way, stop doing anything that uh, everybody's telling you to do. Because it's a wound up. Everybody was trying to do something. Everything. You know, philosophers, you know, they got their ways. You know, Nikes would tell you, do this. You know, uh, they all like, got something to do. Coca-Cola says, you got to drink it. Or else you're not even... Human being, whatever, you're just like not even saying. Coke is it. It's perfect, you know. And, and so um, new living. Anybody got new living? Okay. Huh? New living. NLT, right? Me. The same uh, room as 12 too? Okay. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Awesome. So uh, of all translations that I've read, uh, this one stuck out the, the most in one particular sense. And what it is is that because um, renewing of the mind is something that it's amazing, wonderful, perfectly godly practice. However, if you are in a performance mode, renewing of the mind can become a bondage. And, and I'll explain. Not The word is not bondage, but the way it's communicated. And, and it, when everything else is not set properly in a perspective of his performance versus your performance, grace versus works, uh, what can happen is a perfectly wonderful scripture like that can become um, self-works that could frustrate you. Uh, never mind frustrating God because he, he, he's... Uh, I'll give you an example. I, I was a part of uh, just a wonderful move of God, the discipleship and Jesus culture, Jesus people in the, in the 70s and I got saved. And, and of course, we were all like from alternative, hippie background, drugs, promiscuities, and everything. It was just like that kind of culture. And so we needed discipline, for sure. We needed order. We needed to cover our bodies with clothes and things and, and, and just uh, take a bath or a shower and stuff like that. And so we were like completely like crazy in that respect. So all that was needed. However, um, that season uh, was not abounding on grace and faith, even, you know. It was mocked. You know, that culture, that great culture that saved us and stuff, but it was focusing on discipline and, and obedience and uh, all good things, but was not including things like the grace of God uh, that saves us. And 
works our relationship with the Lord works by His grace through faith, and even that is not just something that you do. We never heard that. What we heard is, oh, that greasy grace, greasy grace. Heard that? So it's like sort of forget grace. Like let's get you to do this, and let's get you to be disciplined. Let's get you, and again, all that's great, but without the grace, it becomes a, a difficult work. Everything becomes like. I gotta do this now, and I gotta do that, and you you, you don't see God, who with all His power and energies and propensities and love for you and and ability to help you do even the most difficult things. You don't see that, and so it's, you're stuck with, oh, I gotta do that, and I gotta do this, and and then then faith. Faith was mocked where I grew up. Like there was no faith for healing. Fee healing is God can heal, but we don't know when he's going to heal and when he's not going to heal. So we don't even want to take a chance. We don't worry, worry about that because that's kind of a God thing. And how do we know? You know. Yeah. And so we were not sure about healing at all. It's just, yes, in the Bible, Jesus did, but I don't know if he's going to do it now. I don't know. Or he, will he or so try to instead of trying to explain and trying to figure it out, just kind of leave it be. And so healing, faithful healing wasn't there. And and uh, and, and and so again, faith was uh, all all these blabbered and grabbed people. They all as faith, faith, faith. You know, and it's like, yeah, I don't want to be part of blabbing, blabbing and grabbing and all this. So whatever that is, we don't want it. So we're just. Dismiss these things. Of course, it's the enemy trying to dispower, so to speak, to take away from us the way even we got saved is by grace through faith. And even the faith that it takes to believe is not something that you do, but it's a substance, a something that you receive as a gift. You know, faith is a noun, right? It's not a verb. It's not something you do. I mean, hello, and you just have to think about that. Just that alone got to make you wonder, hmm, I wonder about that, you know. Because in, in its initial deposit, faith that saves you is a work of God. Um, amplified the gift of the Spirit among the other gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit is one of them is faith, is both gift. And if you say, okay, the gift is a gift, but fruit, like I got to produce fruit. It's my responsibility and uh, my duty and stuff. And, and I appreciate the, the sense of responsibility, of course. But if you want to really understand that even the fruit of the Spirit is exactly fruit of the Spirit, yeah. not fruit of your works. Right. Not fruit of your strenuous labor and fruit of uh, fruit of your conscientiousness and responsibility. I'm I'm all for that, but initially you have to see the meaning of what happens here, the essence of uh, even what fruit is. Because like we are the what the branches, he's the divine, and we're the what the branches. So if you if you follow that thinking, you see the vine. It sources from the roots and it just just takes the nutrients from the soil and just brings it forth and 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 then 
pushes it up the, the, the stem and it goes into the branches. And, and if you've been to a vineyard or something and uh, after the, in the fall, after they, they prune everything down to the very, because then next spring they're gonna, the plant's going to come up again. And so we use these branches for kindling. They, they are very, they're not good for wood, uh, like for firewood, for, uh, just for kindling because they burn fast and there's nothing to it. And so because they're, they're hollow inside, it's not thick wood, it's not like tree branches, but the vine branches are uh, a hollow inside. And all that is the space where the juices from the vine come in. And the entire length of the branch is has their hollowness because to make room for the juice from the vine to come in. And so your, your work or place or what you do, you, you stay connected. You stay connected to the vine. And that connection is vital connection. Um, you know, it's a, it's a faith connection. It's a relational connection to the Lord. So he's, he's, he's birthed you. And you're hanging on the vine. And the full uh, responsibility uh, and full force, the full power from the, into the branch comes from the vine, from the, the, from the roots into the vine. And so you like the processing through you, it goes through. This is our function, if you want to call it, in this branch, vine branch analogy. That Jesus is trying to help us understand our relationship to the Lord. So, so, the, uh, um, so the vine, it gives you its, its life. Before that, we were part of a wild we were wild branches connected to the olive, the wild, you know, wild tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, let's say. That's one way to look at it. So we were sort of grafted into its philosophical and political way of just viewing, you know, that we, we partook from the fruit of that tree. And so we were grafted. We, we lost connection with God. Does it make sense? And all of a sudden we're lost. And, and God comes and says, what's going on? Where are you? Because like all of a sudden we're not with him. We're not in that place of communion and stuff that we have. Because we, we, we partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's philosophy and way of living, way of looking, perspective, everything like that. So now you're part of that. So he can't just pluck you out and graft you to himself. It just doesn't work that way. And if he could have done it, he would have done it. If God, it was, if if it was possible for God to, to take you back to and to break you from that and get you to Himself, He would have done it. Obviously, because He loves you, and He loves Adam and Eve. He loves humanity. He would have done it, but He couldn't. And we don't know all the reasons why, but the point is, He couldn't have done it. And he could cover the mistake. He can cover that shame of it by killing a, an animal and using its skin to cover it. But he couldn't bring us back. He couldn't connect us back to himself. Yeah, you know, just thinking about that, you, you, you start to understand like Jesus had to come for that, not an animal. Animal only can cover us. A lamb can cover us, but 
but he wanted to bring us back to himself. And so how is he going to uh, break us off, free us from that dominary distortion of tree of knowledge of good and evil and all that it means? Go think it and figure it out. But the point is, how is he going to set us free from that kind of thinking, that kind of, that type of knowledge, be it good or be it evil? It, it's like same in that sense because it separated us from God himself. So what good is it? Even the good without God, it's no good. Not really, you know, because only God is good, right? They, 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 they say to Jesus, hey, you're a pretty good teacher. Hmm. Like, how'd you get this good? You haven't been around our school. Like, well, you're pretty good. You know that, Jesus? You're pretty good. He says, don't call me good. Unless you call me God, because only God is good. But you're not calling me God. You're not accepting who I am. You're not acknowledging. You're just calling me good like you're good, like I'm like kind of good like you good. You're not good. Only God is good. Anyways, so even the good is not good because it's, it's idolatrous good, self-good, self-independent good. And that's not good. So um, that's the system that we live around us is that. But in order for him to put us, to connect us to the real good, which is himself, he had to, he had to cut us off from and there was no way for him to cut us off because he's going to kill us. So he provided the killing of the son to cut this connection with that domineering self-existing mode. The tree of life, it provides you with all the, excuse me, the tree of knowledge of good and it provides you with all kinds of stuff that you could think good and this and that but really is disconnected from God himself so the only way to connect you to the tree of life without uh, you know if you remember there was a tree of life but God did not want him to eat from the tree of life in a state of fallen disconnectedness because then they're going to kind of live but they're going to live without him and it's going to be a mess so he got him out of the garden to protect them from this eternal doom of doing, them, doing their own thing. And provided Jesus to, through the cross, this, to sever that connection to that philosophy, that distorted identity, that way of life, that independent self-existence. Probably my best definition of what was the biggest problem. Independent self-existence. Independent from God. And so, sort of like a 4th of July spiritual. It's like, it's, we, we have 4th of July to a point. I mean, from a human slavery, but we don't want to have a 4th of July from God. Like, we want to be totally dependent on God, not independence, you know. So, anyways, that's kind of like. So, here he has provided the, the death of the son because the death of his son. It's like, a, in a way, you can say God died on the cross because Jesus was God, you know. And don't make me explain exactly what, how did that happen because yeah. honestly, I don't know 100%. Because like the, the, half the theologians say, well, he, God could not die. So that didn't really happen in a way. It's like, please. Okay, he said he died, so take it. 
don't explain it because you can't explain it. But thankfully, I don't have to explain nothing. I just believe when God says he died, I agree. Okay, so go argue with whoever you want to, but not with me. I am believer, and I'm persuaded that he did die, and he was raised from the dead. And in his death was my freedom from that old identity. His death is my spiritual circumcision, the cutting away. So in order to be grafted to the vine of God, he had to ungraft you or cut you off, cut us off from that tree of whatever that is. We, thorn bush. He cut us off and grafted us. And he did that by his effort and by his, by his faith. Because... The faithfulness of the Son of God. It took his faithfulness to accomplishing that. Because he could have said, I don't think I've gone through this. I mean, he's never died before. He never even could possibly experience that. This is like unthinkable. This is, he, he outdid anything that anyone can think of. The devil couldn't believe that God would let himself die, but he did. Knowing that he is about to experience something that it's, he could never know for sure what will happen because he's never really died. He doesn't know what death is. So he will let himself truly die and be buried because if you're on a cross and you're dead on the cross, you still might come to life somehow. Chances are, if they take you off the cross and they roll you down, maybe after a few hours, somehow, you know, some parts of your body will come back. In you. But if you put in a grave, especially after three days, yeah. finito. Yeah. Dead, dead, <laughs> for sure. So it's the finality, not just in the cross, but the actual barrier. Burial as well. The Corinthians talks about the gospel. is about he was crucified and he was buried. So these two are important components. To assure the finality, why? Because that will keep you from grave digging. Because he wants to say, you're wasting your time because grave digging doesn't work because it's over. While some will make you go and dig the grave and check it out because they're not going to help you say it's over. It's over. But it's absolutely over. And some theologians, they kind of go into what do you call necromony or something, living with the dead, living, digging into the graves. Yeah, to deal with things from the past. Yep. It's in the grave. Your entire past is in the grave. Yes. Yes. It's in the grave. The only, the only past that you could possibly associate is from the moment you believed that he died for you and you received him as Lord and Savior. From that point on, you're unraveling everything, an amazing thing that's in that, that you become believers. So, past the cross, there's, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing exists past the cross because that cross ended the record of your existence. He, he raised the record so that God himself doesn't see anything 
that you were. It's erased. Jesus is a total erasure of your past. Hey, thank you for listening to my podcast. I trust our discussion today was helpful and encouraging to you. If you have any questions or comments, you can send me your email at gb at globalcelebration.com. I'd love to hear from you. And may the freedom that Christ pays such a high price for you to have be yours today. This is the Cost of Freedom podcast. I'm Georgian Banoff, and I can't wait to see you next week.